Well, if you have a Bible today, let's open up to the book of Acts, chapter 7. And today we're going to cover verses 30 all the way to the end of the chapter. As we're going to see basically two things, uh, Stephen the messenger and then Stephen the martyr. And so he's got a, a great sermon for us. I don't know if you guys knew this or not, but Acts chapter 7 is the longest sermon in the book of Acts. And so that tells me that it has a lot of substance to it. Uh, you'll see in Acts chapter 7 that it's basically the Jewish history And you're going to see that Jewish history is kind of interesting. The way that it pans out is is filled with uh, the history of the miraculous, how God has worked in the in the nation of Israel. But it's also filled with the history of the religious. And we're going to see, unfortunately, that religion, man-made religion, oftentimes uh, gets in the way of a true relationship with God. You know, maybe you're here today and you have gone to church all your life. Uh, some people tell me, it's funny, I'll talk to them and they'll say, I've always been a Christian. And, you know, uh, the truth is, uh, we're born sinners. We're born separated from God. There has to be a time in your life where you gave him your heart. You acknowledge your sin. You turn from it and you trusted in Christ as your Savior. You know, a lot of times we think, well, the religious people, they're over in the Catholic Church and we kind of talk about them. But you guys, we got to know that can happen in the Protestant church. It can happen in the evangelical church. It can happen in any church where you come every week and you think that because you've gone to church that you're going to heaven. And it's not always like that. Do you really know the Lord? He loves you. And he wants more than religion. He wants a relationship with you. And so the Jews, they had this uh, history of, you know, uh, the miraculous. They had the history of the religious. But then they also had this history that was rebellious. And we're going to learn from them. Hopefully we'll learn from them today. Because my prayer is that there would be no rebels here, man. That we would all just be open to the Lord And the amazing work that he wants to do in your life. Do you guys know that God wants you to go to heaven? You guys know that? How many of you guys know that? One day we'll be home in heaven. Pizza will be good for you. I mean, it's going to be amazing. You know, no more deodorant or dental floss necessary. I mean, it's going to be amazing. You guys know that he wants you to go to heaven when you die. But he also wants to bless you while you live. He has this amazing life that he wants to give you, all of us here. And so I pray that we would learn this heavy lesson from Stephen. We begin, we pick up the study in verse 30. First, uh, we need to listen to Stephen, the messenger. Notice what you read in verse 30 of Acts 7. It says, and, and when 40 years had passed, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire in a bush in the wilderness of Mount Sinai. When Moses saw it, he marveled at the sight, and as he drew near to observe, the voice of the Lord came to him, saying, I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses trembled and dared not look. Then the Lord said to him, Take your sandals off your feet, for the place where you stand is holy ground. And and 
Acts 7, as I mentioned to you, is Stephen giving the Jewish history. But what he's doing is he's standing before the Sanhedrin. He's standing before what we would basically consider to be the equivalent of the Supreme Court. But this is the Supreme Court of Israel. And the allegations were that he had committed blasphemy and his life was on the line. But he didn't defend himself. He didn't speak words that would save his life. What he wanted was to save their life. And so what Stephen does is I believe he's filled with the Holy Spirit and he shares the words that that God wants him to share. And we kind of pick it up right in the middle of the sermon because part of the Jewish rebellion was the fact that they had always resisted the Holy Spirit and they kind of resisted the deliverers that God had sent to them. You know, when Joseph was raised up and he would eventually be a deliverer of Israel, uh, they had this history that, that, that resisted it. And, and then when Moses was raised up, it's interesting, uh, we read this last time, they, they resisted him. And so what happened was as a result of that, they had to wait for God's deliverance for another 40 years. Now, that's crazy when you think about it. You know, and I just pray that we would learn from this because, you know, I'll tell you what, you know, you might think like today's just another day and I'm going to church service and I'm going to, you know, go. And then afterwards, I got it all planned out. I'm going to go bowling and then I'm going to go to In-N-Out. It's all right there in the vicinity, you know, and, uh, and, and you don't really want like God to work in your life. You're not expecting it. You're not anticipating it. And yet here is God, the living God, wanting to meet with you and say, hey, let's change your life today. I want to deliver you today. I want to set you free today. You know, and and the Jews, that was the day Moses came. And they, they resisted him. They said, no, not today. Who made you deliver and judge over us? And they had to wait another 40 years. Tell you what, a lot of people, they do that. They waste so much of their life because they're not really living for the Lord. And, and, you know, days go by, weeks go by, months go by, years go by, sometimes even decades go by. And and what I, what I want to encourage you guys to do is not, 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 not be that way. You know, you learn that from the Jews. If you think about it, the distance from, you know, Mount Sinai to the promised land was an 11 day journey, 11 days, but it took them 38 years to get there. They wandered in the wilderness for all that time. And I think a lot of Christians, unfortunately, they don't, they don't, you know, go past the Jordan. They don't go into the promised land, which is a symbolic of victorious Christian living. They don't live that. They resist the Holy Spirit. They resist the love of God. They resist the life, the forgiveness, the amazing power of the Holy Spirit. And I'm just saying this to you. You know, some of you are older. Some of you are younger. Some of us are in between. Some of you are young like me. I mean, we're all different places, right? I mean, and and God is just saying, let's do this. You know, they unfortunately had resisted Moses. And Stephen is basically going to tell them, about Moses and the way that it was clearly God who commissioned him and called him into the ministry. And we read right here, 
that after 40 years had passed, the angel of the Lord, and my Bible has a capital A because later down in verse 32, it calls him God. God appeared to him in burning bush. Think about that, but the bush wasn't consumed. So he goes and he checks it out and he sees what's going on. And then the Lord speaks to him in verse 32. I'm the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. In other words, this is the real God, the living God right? The God of Israel, the God of all. And so when Moses saw that, he trembled. He didn't want to look. But then the Lord said in verse 33, uh, take your shoes off, take your sandals off for the place where you stand is holy ground. And so it was God who called Moses. They would reject him, but it was God. And God made the grimy ground glorious with his presence. Because later we're going to see this is also a factor because the Jews esteemed and idolized the temple. And God is not a God limited to any type of geography. God makes grimy ground holy when he's there. And so I was thinking we should all take off our shoes right here. What do you guys say, man? Have you washed your feet? Or maybe we should wash each other's feet, huh? There you go. So you got it all figured out. It's so cool when you see the history lesson here. Notice how much God cares. Look at verse 34. I have, this is what God said to Moses. I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt. I have heard their groaning and have come down to deliver them. And now come, I will send you to Egypt. You know, the the Lord had appeared to Moses. and, And when we look at the words that he shared with them, I mean, it's not to, you know, it's not to you know, put us into type of religious legalism, bondage. And he wants to set you free. He wants to bless your life. Uh, I love what we read right here. The children of Israel, if you think about it, were suffering as slaves in Egypt. I mean, imagine experiencing the bondage that they went through. And as the years went by, it seemed to be only getting worse until finally what had happened, I believe, is they really began to pray. You know, you want God to move in your life? Get on your knees. You really want God to move in your life? Get on your face. Pray. Oh, you know, you want your kids to get saved? I mean, and, and you're, you're praying like, you know, once in a while, half-heartedly, maybe a minute here, a minute there. You know, and we're going through things. And, and all I'm saying is that God, He wants us to cry out to Him. And when we do, He, he hears. That's what we read right here. It says, I have, I've heard their groaning and I've, and I've come down to deliver them. I see, you know, the oppression. And, and I don't know what you're going through to today. God knows what you're going through. But I want you to know that he sees, he sees it. He knows all about it. As a matter of fact, in, in Exodus uh, chapter 3, when God speaks about it, he says he knows their sorrows. And so that's the God that we serve. In your life, in your situation, God we, we would desire intervention. He wants to move. And that's what Stephen is saying here. But here's the thing. When he does send salvation, uh, don't be like the children of Israel who unfortunately have this terrible pattern, generally speaking, of resisting God and resisting the ones that God sent to deliver them. Look what we read in verse 35. And then Moses, whom they rejected, saying, Who made you a ruler and a judge is the one God sent to be 
a ruler and deliverer by the hand of the angel who appeared to him in the bush. He, he brought them out after he had shown wonders and signs in the land of Egypt and in the Red Sea and in the wilderness 40 years. You know, basically what Stephen is doing is he's trying to, you know, convince them that the ministry of Moses truly was miraculous. And they had rejected him. And we're going to see that. Here's what we find out, you guys. And I don't know how you guys feel about this, but I think generally speaking uh, that there has always only been a remnant. That, you know, you got a, a billion people who say they're Christians, but how many of them really love the Lord? You know, you have the Jews and, you know, maybe there were three million Jews that were taken out of Egypt and were delivered, you know, through the leadership of Moses. But how many of them really love the Lord? In, in, in a general sense, they rejected him. And, and so, you know, the Lord here, he shares, no, they shouldn't have. I mean, look at the, the way that God made it so clear that the calling and commission was from him. You know, the wonders that they did, right? I mean, if you think about it, when they were there, the, uh, the, the, the Nile River, it turns to blood. All the frogs, and you might be here, maybe you like frogs. How many of you like frogs? You know, sorry, man, but you get buried by frogs. You're not going to like it. Flies, all the flies that, that, that came as a result of the Moses uh, ministry, all the lice. Any of you guys ever have pios? No, I'm just joking. I want to. <laughs> I mean, all the locusts, the livestock that were dead, the darkness is interesting, was here, but then the light was there. The death of the firstborn. How did God do that? How did he spare my firstborn? It was the Lord working through Moses in a miraculous way. Then you got the parting of the Red Sea. And when they went through, the Egyptian army didn't. They all drowned. You know, and then you go into the wilderness and he strikes the rock and think about it, the best water you ever had comes out and then he, you know, manna from heaven and all the meat you can eat. I mean, the way that God just led them miraculously through the man Moses, their shoes, think about it. How many of you would like to have shoes that never wear out? 40 years. They were Doc Martens. That's the first ones. <laughs> I mean, just amazing what God did through Moses. Why would they reject him? Because their hearts were hard. Look what we read next in verse 37. It says, This is that Moses who said to the children of Israel, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet, capital P in my Bible, which, which from, like me from your brethren, him you shall hear. See, part of the reason we know that they rejected Moses is because they rejected this prophecy of Moses. This prophecy is found in Deuteronomy 18 and verse 15 and Deuteronomy 18, you can look down even at verse 18 and 19. It's a prophecy that points to none other than Jesus Christ. And so Moses said, Moses said, hey, the Lord your God is going to raise up for you a prophet like me. Make sure you listen to him. Make sure you listen to him. But they didn't, right? I mean, Moses and Jesus, they were similar. They were both sent by God, both established covenants of God, the old and new. Both spoke the direct message of God and the promise of the prophecy for them was both that if anyone didn't hear uh, or listen or obey them, then they would experience the judgment of God. And so Stephen here, he was saying something that they, they never really realized. 
you mean to tell me that we, and these are the religious leaders, we have rejected Moses? It's interesting when you look at that. You know, Jesus told them the same thing in John chapter 5 and verse 46. For if you believe Moses, he said you would believe me, for he wrote about me. And, and again, uh, just the, the main message here is that they had a history of resisting the Holy Spirit and denying their deliverer and, and really rebelling. And so we read in verse 38, it says, This is he who was in the congregation in the wilderness with the angel who spoke to him on Mount Sinai and with our fathers, the one who received the living oracles to give to us, whom our fathers would not obey but rejected, and in their hearts they turned back to Egypt. And, and I just, man, there's a, there's, a, there's a warning for me. I think there's a warning for all of us. You know, the revelation of, of who God is. He's a God who cares. He sees, he hears, he knows. And so he sends help to us, right? He reaches out to us. The question is, are we open to him? Now, a lot of times we resist his love. We resist his help, his ways. And sometimes it's really easy to see. People are like, I don't want to go to church. I, I don't want to read my Bible. I don't want to pray. I, I don't want to be a Christian. Sometimes it's really easy to see. Other times it's not that easy to see because it's something that's going on in your heart. In your heart. You know, are you all in? See, when we're evaluated by God, he doesn't see as man sees. He sees the heart. You know, and maybe you're here and you're, you know, I'm not trying to, to, to beat you up. I want to lift you up. I want to tell you that God requires more than just church attendance. He requires more than just, you know, lip service. He loves you so much that he wants all of you. He wants your heart. You know, some of you guys here, when you were younger, you used to have a girl here and then a girl there, huh? Come on, you guys, unfortunately, before you were Christians, you were two-timers or maybe three-timers. That's the way you were. And for whatever reason, uh, sometimes people think they can do that with God. Yeah, well, the Lord is, is the love of my life, but I also, I, I like that a little more, or I love that a little more, or him or her or my sin. And, and what ends up happening is that God brought you out of Egypt, but in your heart, sometimes we have that temptation and an inclination to go back. And I just want to encourage you today to give God your heart. Make sure that doesn't happen. You know, it's interesting. The word congregation right here in verse 38 is the word ecclesia. It's the same Greek word that we have uh, translate church. And we're called out of the world. But sometimes, unfortunately, we want to go back to the world. And we forgot that it was bondage. And so I want to encourage you, be really careful with that. You know, church means that we're called out. It means we're called into a relationship with him. It means that we really, truly love him. And you guys are probably going to think I'm mushy or something, you know, that guy's... I don't know what they would call it, a romantic. I I pray this prayer. Lord, I want to fall in love with you. I want to fall 
in love with you. And not, and I, I, I'm probably a better prayer to pray was that I want to grow in love with you. But this is where we have to be, you guys. You know, we got to make sure that we guard our hearts, that we don't turn back to Egypt. Notice what we read in verse 40, saying to Aaron, you know, this is what happened when their hearts went back. Make us gods to go before us. For this Moses who brought us out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. And they made a calf in those days. They offered up sacrifices to the idol and rejoiced in the works of their own hands. Then God turned and gave them up to worship the host of heaven as it is written in the book of the prophets. Did you offer me slaughtered animals and sacrifices during 40 years in the wilderness, O house of Israel? You also took up the tabernacle of Moloch and the star of your god Remphan, images which you made to worship. And I will carry you away beyond Babylon. And, and you can read the history of Israel, right? You know, how they came up out of Egypt and then, you know, it didn't take long. Moses was up on the mountain. He was receiving the word of God for them. But they couldn't wait. And then before you know it, uh, they said, hey, Aaron, help us out here. This guy, Moses, we don't know what happened to him. Make us a God who will lead us. And so they all took their gold, their earrings, and they threw it in. And, you know, Aaron fashioned it into a calf and ran is interesting. Verse uh, 42, it talks about they, they offered sacrifices to God, but they also offered sacrifices to other gods. There was uh, a divided heart. There was idolatry. You know, and, and what happened when you look at that story, it's just a terrible story. The clergy led the people in an orgy. And then sexual sin came in. And what, what is that? That's us doing the things of the world. I don't know if you guys heard on, on CNN recently, a guy was on CNN and he was, you know, I mean, this is a, gr- a huge a network. And here's a guy that's saying it's okay to, to look at pornography. He's saying it's a good thing. He's saying it's okay to have extramarital relationships. Um, you know, he was saying pornography is, is kind of like neutral. They were saying it's like driving a car. It can be good or bad. That's the mentality of the world. You know, we have to guard ourselves against that. We have to know what does the Bible say? This is the truth in the, la- in the land of lies. Lord, help me not to go back to that. You know, there's different gods. There's the God of Ashtoreth, which is sex or the God of, uh, of Baal, which is the things that rain can provide, or the, or the God of Mammon. There's money. We have to make sure we don't put other gods before the one God. There's only one God. And he, enters his, he mentions Moloch here in verse 43. And, you know, Molech was a terrible God. He was the official God of the Ammonites in which human victims, particularly infants, were offered in sacrifice. And so its image was a hollow brass figure with the head of an ox and outstretched human arms. And it was heated uh, from a fire within it. And so when that statue, that brass statue was heated red hot, they would put the babies on the arms of Molech and the little babies were placed there, burned to death. And to prevent the parents from hearing the cries of the children, the priests would just beat on the drums. And I was just thinking about how today we have abortion and how so many people, they, they do the same thing. They're worshiping the same God. And, and what is that God? To me, you know what that God is? That God is the God of, 
of it's inconvenient for me to have a child right now. It's the God of selfishness. It's the God that, that doesn't esteem that life is precious to God. You know, and so when you look around the world, this is what we see. Now, if you're here and that was something that happened to you in the past, please don't let the enemy condemn you on that. But I'm I'm telling you, you know, make sure that we go forward not worshiping these gods. You know, sometimes people, they don't come to Christ because of these gods of human rebellion. Other times it's because of this God of human religion. Look at verse 44. It says, Our our fathers had the tabernacle of witness in the wilderness as he appointed and instructing Moses to make it according to the pattern that he had seen, which our fathers, having received it in turn, also brought with Joshua into the land, possessed by the Gentiles, whom God drove out before the face of our fathers until the days of David, who found favor before God and asked to find a dwelling for the God of Jacob. But Solomon built him a house. However, the Most High does not dwell in temples made with hands, as the prophet says. Heaven is my throne and earth is my footstool. What house will you build for me, says the Lord, or what is the place of my rest? Has my hand not made all these things? And so Stephen, again, just giving them the history of the Jews he begins to put his finger on areas in which they struggled. And we talked about the fact that they were rebellious, but now we see that they were religious. And God had given them the the instructions and, and this tabernacle that they were supposed to make. And it was a tabernacle that was symbolic of the presence of God with the people of God. And it was cool, you know, uh, they, they made it and then they brought it into the Joshua and they brought it into the promised land and all the way through into the days of David. But then what ended up happening, and there's this inclination to begin to worship not the God of the tabernacle, but the tabernacle. Next thing you know, uh, David says, hey, I want to build a temple for God. He doesn't do it because he's got too much blood on his hands. But eventually Solomon, his son, does. And basically what Stephen is saying, we just got to capture what his point is. His point is that God doesn't live in the temple, that we have to be so careful that we don't get caught up in religion or icons or those types of things because if we're not really careful, then the religious will get in the way of the relationship. And that's what he's saying here. You know, they... they, you know, question is, does God live in buildings built by man? And you guys definitely know this, huh? Because you look at this building and you're like, there's no way God lives in here, man. Look at the ceiling tiles, you know, and just different things, right? I mean, not, not even under the old covenant. Here, Stephen, he's so cool the way he quotes earlier from Amos 5, 25 through 27. And then now he's quoting from Isaiah 66, 1 to 2. I mean, Stephen, he just knew the Bible so well. And he knew that the Most Holy, the most holy does not dwell in temples made with hands. You know, today, if you were to go to uh, Rome, uh, you would see the largest church in the world there in Italy, St. Peter's Basilica, 365,000 square feet. And it's, that's huge when you think about it. 
but but does God fit? Is God contained there in that uh, place in his fullness? Can he be exclusively confined to that house made with hands? Absolutely not. Look at verse 49. He says, heaven is my throne and earth is my footstool. I mean, earth is pretty big if you think about it. Earth, if I'm not mistaken, is 200 million square miles. That's how big God's foot is. I mean, it's just amazing. And, and, the, and, the, and the thing that we just have to come back to is it's not the place. Remember how it all started with Moses? I mean, God said, it's, it's, I can make this grimy ground glorious to where you'll have to take off your sandals because it's holy ground because of my presence. It's not the ground. God called Abraham out of the, the, the Babylon. That, that, a lot of theologians, when they talk about this, they'll just talk about how God was in all these different geographical locations. It's not the place. We have to remember that. It's, it's a person. And his name is Jesus. And if we're not really careful, we can forget that. You know, unfortunately, we kind of get caught up in icons. I, I, I want you guys to know this. It is extremely difficult not to turn a religious facility into an icon of idolatry. And that's kind of why Pastor Chuck, he said, you know what? You know, I think there was wisdom involved. He said, keep the building simple. You know, for whatever reason, you go into maybe some churches and the, and the, and the architecture and the stained glass windows and, and there's a certain aspect of the building to where people go into the building and they're just like in awe of the building and they kind of think, they forget, they think, wow, this is God's house. And it's not that way. The Holy Spirit, He speaks to us and He says, man, be careful the gods of this world and the tug of this world and the ways of this world and, and the, be careful of the rebellious and, and then be careful of man-made traditions and, and be careful of not just the rebellious but the religious. I want you guys to have a true relationship with God. That's what Stephen is basically saying to these guys. Unfortunately, the Jews did not, generally speaking, accept what he had to say. They insisted on their own ways. They persisted in their sin and they resisted the Holy Spirit. And so now all this sermon, and and you guys are thinking, man, it's been a long sermon. I know, but, you know, all this sermon is now coming to this point, this climax in verse 51. And this is what he says. You stiff-necked and uncircumcised and hard in ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who foretold the coming of the just one of whom you now have become the betrayers and, and murderers who have received the law by the direction of angels and have not kept it now when you read that i don't know how how it makes you feel like what if i told you guys that you (laughs) stiff-necked you know and 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 stubborn and and you know resistant people you're always resisting the voice of the holy spirit some of you here man you're not 
You know, you're not. I praise God for you. I know that in this church, there are people not perfect, but they're proper. They love the Lord. They're earnest and sincere and genuine in the way that they're following God. You know, so for you, you know, you hear it and you're like, you know, thank you, God, for your grace in my life. But maybe there are some here who are resisting the Holy Spirit. You know, where he's saying, mijo, you know, let's get, let's get back on, on track. You know, mija, I have a, a calling on your life. I love you. You know, to, to be stiff-necked, it really meant that you don't bow. You won't bow your head and your heart to God. And, and, if, and, if they, and if you would listen, it's interesting because they were cut to the heart. Earlier in Acts chapter 2, they also were cut to, heart, to the heart and they all got saved. And, and unfortunately, this time, however, that same thing happened in their heart, but they didn't turn to the Lord. They didn't get right with God. You know, he gives them their history right here. You guys always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did, so do you. In verse 52, he talks about the way that they persecuted the prophets. And we read that in Second Chronicles 36, 15 through 16. And the Lord God of their fathers sent warnings to them by his messengers rising up early and sending them because he had compassion on his people and on his dwelling place. But they mocked the messengers of God, despised his words and scoffed at his prophets until the wrath of the Lord arose against his people and there was no remedy. That's the way they reacted to it, you know. And I definitely am not a prophet by any means, but, you know, uh, I will say this, that, you know, when you hear a Bible study and you sit there in your seat, and a lot of times, you know, you're like, man, I'm, I'm, you know, I don't like that guy. You know, I, I, I don't like, you know, what he's saying. I don't like the way that he's trying to tell me that I got to get my life right. You know, that's resisting the Holy Spirit. I have to, I have to bow to the Holy Spirit all the time. I sit in Bible studies and, you know, I get corrected by different people. I, I thank God for that. We need that. And here, Stephen right here, he gives them the message that they needed to hear. And I pray that we would listen to Stephen, the messenger. And then we close now with Stephen, the martyr. And it kind of all ties together right here. Notice what we read in verse 54. And when they heard these things, they were cut to the heart and they gnashed at him with their teeth. I was thinking about that, gnashing with their teeth. Can you guys do that? I don't know. I think there's more to it here. They're just furious, right? But he, notice in verse 55, being full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God and said, look, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. And then they cried out with a loud voice, stopped their ears and ran at him with one accord. And they cast him out of the city and stoned him. They would have these big rocks, not a baseball, big rocks. And they stoned him with one accord. And they cast him out of the city, stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. And they stoned Stephen as he was calling on God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. 
Then he knelt down and cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not charge them with this sin. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. And so there's a, there's a message. I pray that we would listen to Stephen, the, the messenger. But there's now something to see, and that is Stephen, the martyr. And I tell you what, we could dive into this. There is so much here that is, is so rich. And I do encourage you, you know, sit before the Lord and read this section. But, you know, unless we get raptured, we're all going to die one day, right? I mean, I kind of hope I die in my sleep. I don't know exactly how it's going to happen. But I tell you what, Stephen here, he teaches us not only how to live, but how to die. And, and when you look at his life and you look at his death, I, I think he really is one of the most amazing men that we can glean from by the grace of God. And what Jesus did in his life is so amazing. You know, Stephen here, the first thing we see, and, and if you're there and, and who knows, you know, how it's going to happen, you know, but, but if, you know, you're at death's door, one thing that Stephen was is he was filled with the Holy Spirit. He was filled with the Holy Spirit. And we saw that from the very beginning. That's one of the qualifications that they were looking for in men that would be deacons and men that would be serving tables. Uh, Let me ask you a question. Are you filled with the Holy Spirit? You know, prayerfully we are walking in His strength. You know, where we're not living in sin because that will grieve the Holy Spirit. But we're not, you know, living in doubt because that will quench the Holy Spirit. I mean, we're just filled with the Holy Spirit. That's one of the ways I think that we can die good. And I think about it sometimes. I don't know if you guys ever do. You guys probably think I'm morbid because I think about it. But man, I would kind of like to die a martyr's death if that's what God had for me. Not to give you any ideas or anything, but you know, there are a few people who are after me, which is probably a good thing. But man, um, I I do know this though, that I want to die like Stephen did. Number one, full of the Holy Spirit. Number two, when you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you're going to have faith like this. And when I'm there at death's door, wherever it is, I get the news from the doctor and he says, okay, I get the message. God says, you're done. You and I will be able to see heaven. Because, you know, maybe not physically, like I think Stephen saw it more uh, literally, but for us, we'll be able to see it with the eyes of our hearts. You know, and when you see Stephen, he was filled with the Holy Spirit. He had faith. He was able to see heaven. It's not, it's not a bummer. You're not sad. You're not, you know, bummed. I mean, it's, it's God's going to take care of your family. We're going to heaven. See, that's where Stephen was. It was a great place. I mean, he not only was going to heaven, but Jesus was standing up to receive him. Now, of course, we know that Jesus, for the most part, is seated at the right hand of the Father. There's a theological work that the the work of salvation has already been done. So we see him seated at the right hand of the Father, but now he's standing up. Why is he standing up? To receive the first Christian martyr. And to me, you know what that tells me? First word is filled. Second word is faith. Third word is finished that he finished the work that God had given him to do. And I pray that we would have that in our heart as well. You know, why are you guys still here? 
Why are you still here? How many of you believe it's to eat? How many of you here love eating? (laughs) How about having fun? Is that why we're still here? To have fun? I don't know. I know we're supposed to enjoy God, and he gave you taste buds for a reason, so I don't want to, you know, take away from that. But don't miss out on the fact that the only reason you're still alive is to serve the Lord. And I don't know how it is where God wants you to serve, but I pray that you would find out and that you would finish that race with joy so that one day when you do die, and you stand before the Lord, and then he stands up, that his words to you will be, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your Lord. You don't want him to say, okay, hey, Manny, how's it going? Okay, that couch is over there for you. You know, Lord, what about the well done part? No. You know, another thing I see in looking at this right here is that Stephen, when he dies, he has his heart, of forgiveness, you know? I mean, he doesn't die a bitter man. He doesn't die like, say, hey, Lord, can you get those people, you know? And No, you know what? To me, that's a beautiful expression and a way that God has worked in his life and he dies just like Jesus died. Remember when the Lord was on the cross, he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. You know, for us, it's the same thing. It should be the same thing. I tell you what, if there's anybody that you need to get right with in that relationship, if you need to forgive someone, Do it before you die. As a matter of fact, do it now. We learn how how to live from Stephen. But we also learn how to die from Stephen. And as all this happens, and as he is this amazing example for us, one last thing, what ends up happening is as he dies, notice again right there, it says in verse 58, And the witnesses laid down their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. You know, you might might wonder, well, why did he have to die? It doesn't make any sense. He was such a, a, a wonderful, you know, worker of the Lord. I mean, just, man, he could have done so many things. But God said, well, this is what I have for him. I want him to die like this. Wow, Saul is watching him die like this. Because this man is going to change the world. You know, sometimes we think, well, that doesn't make any sense. And, you know, we try to add things up and God knows And, you know, even we think of our kids and we think of our loved ones and we think of people who are watching us and we get so impatient. Lord, why don't you save them now? Why don't, you know, you light a fire in their heart now? And God says, you just keep following me. Learn from Stephen. Learn the way that he lived and the way that he died. Because your children... They're going to watch you to the very end. And you watch. Even though we want it to happen before we die, a lot of times it doesn't happen until after we die because God has a plan.
And so I pray, you guys, we would just be faithful to the death. There's that beautiful passage. I think it's in Revelation uh, chapter 2 in, uh, in verse uh, 10. It says, Do not fear any of those things which you're about to suffer. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested, and you will have tribulation 10 days. But he says, Be faithful until death, and I will give you the crown of life. And that's what um, the word Stephen means, huh? Crown. So today I'll crown you with the name Stephen. I was thinking, well, Lord, how does it work for the girls? And so I thought, well, I'll call you Stephen and Stephanie. How we do that? How about if we do that? But then I thought about Steve and Stevie Nicks and all that. It's just different things. See how I go off on a tangent? (laughs) My prayer, you guys, is that, that we would all go to heaven, that you will choose to follow Christ, and that when we get there and we're just seeing the rewards being given out, that we all would receive what John called a full reward. But let it be today. Let God do a work in our hearts today.